which we read in the Old Testament in the first book of Samuel chapter 4 where you'll find our text for today in verse 13 of that chapter first Samuel chapter 4 and verse 13 We'll read from verse 12. There ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. His heart trembled for the ark of God. There are few figures in the Bible that touch our hearts as deeply as the figure of Eli. It is almost impossible to read the account that we have, brief though it is, of the life of Eli without feeling desperately sorry for him. Our heart is truly touched when we read what we find told us about this man Eli. There was no doubting his godliness. He was a godly man. He was a man of mild and gentle character. A man who would not offend anyone. A man who truly showed many, many qualities of godliness. You don't find him, for example, when Samuel, having come to know the Lord, brings the message that the Lord brought him to Eli when Eli forces him more or less to tell him what the Lord had said. When that message with all that it holds for Eli and for his house comes to Eli through the mouth of Samuel, you don't find Eli responding in animosity to Samuel, in anger against God, you don't find resentment, you don't find jealousy, none of these things. Acceptance, submission, quiet resignation into the hand of God. It is the Lord, let him do what seems good. And yet, for all that godliness, for all his character, there is something in the life of Eli that is missing, something important, something crucial. He misses the matter of moral strength. He has convictions, but he doesn't have the courage to stand for them. He doesn't have the courage to stand for them, at least with the firmness that ought to have characterized him as a man of God. It doesn't matter whether you look at him as a parent, whether you look at him as a judge. He judged Israel for 40 years. He was the leader of Israel for 40 years. He was a priest of the Lord. He was in charge of the business of the house of God, of the sacrifices of God, of all the arrangements of God's house. Whether you look at him as a judge or as a priest or as a parent, this is one thing that always comes through in the life of this miserable man, Eli, for all his godliness. He is spineless. He doesn't have the strength to stand as he ought for his conviction. He lets many people in Israel do what is wrong in the eyes of the Lord. He lets the sacrifices of God's house be defiled. He lets his sons live in open sin with only a mild rebuke to them. And now that they are adults, 
with houses of their own and families, it's too late. He has so little control over them. It's such a pathetic figure. For all his undoubted godliness, how our heart is touched by all that was missing in the life of Eli as he sits there by the wayside watching with his heart trembling. And I would like today to try and for us all to try and get into the mind of Eli as he sits there on that seat in his loneliness watching for and waiting for news coming from the field of back because there is much information given us as to what must have gone through the mind of Eli and particularly in reference to the ark of God there are many things that could have caused him to tremble this was a decisive day in the history of Israel at least at that moment because it seems to have been the kind of situation where one battle, one decisive battle was going to decide for generations the future of Israel. Were they going to be in the ascendancy over the Philistines or were they going to be subject to them? All of that was suspended on these vital moments in the field of battle. But that wasn't what made the heart of Eli tremble. He was no doubt thinking of all the mothers the daughters, the sons in Israel who were the next morning going to mourn the 30,000 that were slain on the field of battle. The daughters, the mothers, the sisters, the brothers who would never see their loved ones again. He was no doubt thinking of how that was in view in concerning this battlefield in which these men were engaged. But that wasn't what made his heart to tremble. He was no doubt concerned about his own two sons, his flesh and blood. Not only were they involved in the battle, but they were involved in the battle with a dark prophecy of the Lord suspended over them. The Lord had said to Eli that his house was going to be judged, that his house was going to come under the retribution of God because of the way that he had failed to regulate his sons because of the ungodliness that was there alongside the undoubted godliness and God says I'm going to cut them off in the flower of their age and they went into battle with that dark prophecy of God suspended over their heads or oh, whatever Eli would have thought of the swords of the Philistines the sword of the hand of God was undoubtedly in his mind as he thought about his flesh and blood, as he thought about Hophni and Phinehas in the forefront of the battle. But that wasn't, not even that, made his heart to tremble. His heart trembled for the ark of God. That single most holy and sacred and symbolic piece of Israelites religious history and practice the ark of God that contained the law of God the ark of God that symbolized and visibly manifested the presence of God in the cloud that dwelt 
between the cherubim over the mercy seat that covered the ark of God. The ark of God that they had carried into battle with them. The ark of God that was the most precious, surely the most precious possession of Israel. The ark of God that symbolized the presence of God, the favor of God, the dwelling of God. His heart trembled and his heart trembled not for his sons, not for the people, not for the mothers of Israel, not for himself, but for the ark of God. His heart trembled because he knew two things. Two things that we can use as our headings as we try to realize what Eli thought. First of all, he realized the men that were in charge of the ark and his heart would tremble because of that secondly he realized the manner in which they had taken the ark and his heart would tremble because of that first of all the men who took the ark his own two sons Hophni and Phinehas were in charge of the ark the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God now Eli Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were not known for their godliness. Oh, whatever defects Eli had in his life. Eli was a man of God. Whatever defects we may find in his character, in his standing for what he knew to be right, Hophni and Phinehas have far greater defects than that. They are men who don't know the Lord, who didn't know the Lord, who didn't fear the Lord. Men who were priests in the house of God and yet defiled the house of God. Men who had office in the church of God and yet were engaged in all kinds of immoral practices along with the way that they offered the sacrifices of God in the wrong manner, in the wrong fashion. They were evil characters, Hophni and Phinehas. And just think of Eli with his mind upon the ark of God and all that it signified. And thinking to himself, who has charge of that ark of God? My two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. The ark of God in these hands. In these hands that defile the sanctuary of God. The, heart, the ark of God in these hands. How my heart trembles. How he would have gone back in his mind to his own deficiencies, surely. How he would have thought of the way that he had neglected to bring them up by applying the authority that God had given him, not only as a priest of God, but as a parent. The authority that was his to regulate his family, as one who was head of his household. How he would be filled with regret, sitting there by the wayside, thinking back as well as thinking forward. Filled with regret for his lack of firmness. Filled with regret for the way he had not actually brought these sons up in an authoritative, disciplined manner. Filled with regret that now that they were old and mature themselves, it was long past remonstrating with them. He had lost his control of them long ago. He had lost it from the very beginning because Eli had failed to overcome in his own heart that deficiency and therefore he had failed to bring them up as he ought to have brought them up. He had failed to reckon with his own weakness. He had failed to overcome that weakness, that spinelessness of himself. And therefore he had failed 
in the bringing up of his sons. Before we go on, isn't there a lesson in that for ourselves? Isn't there a lesson in that for all of us who have families? For all of us indeed who have contact with children elsewhere, with children of our own families. For whatever way we have contact with children, whatever way we seek to witness to and to bring up the generation that's following us, this in Eli is surely filled with lessons for us. That God has given us parental authority to be used, to be applied. Eli was too soft. He was indisciplined. He didn't apply the authority that was his as a parent. The authority of advice, the authority of the will of God revealed to him and passed on to them, the authority of good example, the authority of bringing before them the way we live our own lives, all of these things are matters where the authority God gives us is passed on, surely effectively, to the following generation. We don't have any right to speak about other people's children. We have plenty in ourselves to deal with. But God's directives must be passed on and must be taken note of. The matter of discipline in the home, of parental authority in the home, is not to be regarded as something that is cruel, something that is tyrannous or anything like that. It need not be that kind of thing. Because the secret to it all is told us in this very chapter. What is it? It is this. The honouring of the Lord. That is what Eli had failed to do. He had failed to honour the Lord. And the Lord had said to him specifically. That his two men, that his two sons were evil. And yet he did not restrain them. But he said more than that. He said to him that you have honoured them above me. What do we do when we fail to apply the authority that is ours as parents, grandparents, whatever it might be, whatever it is in the way of authority, whatever kind of authority it is, however it must be passed on, when we fail, what are we doing? What are we failing to recognize? We're failing to recognize the honor of God. Honor God. Honor God first. Honor God primarily. Don't let anyone else take the honor of God. Don't let anyone else be given the honor of God. Don't give it to yourself. Don't give it to your children. Don't give it to your families. Give it to God. Give Him His place. Them that honor me, I will honor. Them that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The lessons of Eli's house. For all the godliness, there is this great deficiency. And his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas are the product of the weakness of his heart. And these are the men who are in charge of the ark of God. That is why Eli's heart trembles when he thinks of the ark of God. He thinks of the men in whose hands the ark truly is. But can we not apply that more to our own age as well? There are lessons in this for our day and for our generation. Because you see, Eli is thinking of the spiritual leadership of Israel in battle. In battle with the enemies 
of the covenant of God, of the people of God. The leadership is not what it should be. And therefore the outcome of the battle is almost certainly defeat for Israel. He trembles for the ark of God when he recognizes the kind of men that bear the ark, that are in charge of the ark, that are in charge of the ark in battle with the foes of Israel. He trembles because he realizes that it's almost inevitable that the ark of God is going to be captured, that the ark of God is going to be delivered to the hand of the Philistines, that the heathen are going to take Israel's prized possession. He was right. And his daughter-in-law recognized the seriousness of it. She named the child that she bore in her travail and in a travail that led to her death. Ichabod. The glory is departed. Now as you and I look out over the situation of our own day, we're not in the business of setting ourselves above others. We're not in the business of comparing ourselves to others or imagining that we are better than others. But look at this whole range that you see today around you of spiritual leadership for one thing. When you have men not making a profession of faith as such, but a profession of unbelief that is taken to be a profession of faith. People who will tell you that they don't accept the Bible as the word of God. People who will say, well, I accept parts of it, but I must reject these parts. People who will tell to you that you must interpret the Bible in a way that conforms to modern thinking. That you must give way to such movements as feminist movements and other movements in order to accommodate such movements into the interpretation of the Word of God. That this must change and keep up with the times. You could add to that list almost Adam, Adam tonight. Is our heart today not trembling for the heart for the ark of God. If you consider the ark of God to be in the hands of men who don't believe the scripture, who wonder why so-called, as they put it, simple believers cannot radically question that Christ rose literally from the dead. Are we not trembling that the ark of God is in the hands of people like that? Are we not looking to ourselves in a way that would seek to set against that movement? Are we not trembling as we see the outcome of that kind of idea and of leadership? The outcome of that kind of leadership that undoubtedly is that people think profession of faith in Christ is something that you can do just as any other matter in the world. That it's a matter simply of joining the church. But there's nothing more to it than that. That you can turn up to church now and again and especially at a time of communion. That there is nothing inconsistent with going to the Lord's table and then going to the golf course or to the pub or to do your gardening. Isn't that the legacy of the kind of leadership, of the kind of declaration, of the kind of preaching, of the kind of situation that prevails in our day, let's face it, that prevails in our day, that ridicules so-called fundamentalism, the kind of leadership that says... God will see to it, friend, with a smile on his face, that no one who goes to church will be lost. Is our heart trembling? 
for the ark of God. Is our heart trembling for the ark of God when unbelief rules our day? When skepticism and philosophies that do not accord with our view of Scripture and with Scripture's view of itself and with God's declaration of himself in the Scripture, with God's declaration of the Scripture as his word, is our heart not trembling today for the ark of God? Surely it should be. Just as it was for Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside when he thought of the hands that had charge of the ark of God his heart trembled. <coughs> there are few things if anything in this world as serious as important as vital as spiritual leadership. I know you recognize But sadly, very few others do. Spiritual leadership is something which is a massive privilege with massive responsibilities. With the massive responsibilities that attach themselves to that kind of God-given privilege and position. How little it is realized in our day what it means to be a preacher of the gospel. What it means to be in position in the church of God in a way that regulates and has office in the church of God, in a way that has leadership in the church of God, how all of these things are treated so lightly. And yet, do we find ourselves trembling in our hearts for the ark of God? Do we find this carrying us to the throne of God? Do we find this carrying us with the burden of our hearts, with this as the burden of our hearts, bringing it to the, to the presence of God in prayer? Eli trembled for the ark of God when he thought, of the hands into which the ark had been deposited, his own two sons, his own unbelieving and wicked and godless sons. But also, the manner in which the ark was taken, because I don't like, I, don't, I wouldn't like any of us here to think that it's all a matter of them out there and not us also. That it's all a matter of the leadership of our day elsewhere. Or that it's all a matter of Christians so-called elsewhere without involving ourselves. The manner in which these men took the ark is a lesson to ourselves also. And speaks forcibly to ourselves today as I hope we'll see in these next few moments. How did they come about taking the ark? Well they came back from a defeat at the hands of the Philistines. They asked the question... Wherefore has the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? And in the next breath they say, Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. What does that reveal? Well, it reveals a profound lack of appreciation of how they ought to go into battle. They didn't go into battle as men who had the power and the might of God on their side. They didn't go into battle as men who were victorious and would be victorious at the end of it. They went into battle defeated before they started. They went into battle as men who were crushed. They went into battle as men who took the ark of God 
out of some mere superstition or looking back to the past in a historical kind of way without ever bothering to come to think of the question seriously, why did we lose the first battle? You see, the point is this. If they're now saying by this, let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant, if they're saying by that as they are, we want God to be with us. Then that itself shows how they understood that God had not been with them in the first battle. And they imagine that the mere taking of the ark is going to lead to God being with them. When they haven't even analyzed why he wasn't with them in the first place, how it was their sin that prevented his being with them in the first place, how that was the root cause of that powerlessness. The fact that they bring the ark of God, the manner in which they bring the ark of God, is bound to lead to their defeat. Because they're entering into battle already defeated. They're entering into battle in their own strength. They're entering into battle with the ark of God as an empty symbol for them as far as the situation goes. Because they have no more of God with them this time than they had the first time. They have not dealt with the crucial matter of their own sins, of their unbelief, of their backsliding ways, of their coldness of heart, of their indifference to the religion that God has given them. And because of that, however often they take the ark with them, they're going to fail. They're going to fail miserably. Now you and I today, can't we apply this to ourselves? Surely we can. Don't you have to admit, as I have to admit with you, that there are times, perhaps even here and now, when you are conscious in the presence of God as you go out and as you engage the enemy of your soul in battle, in mortal combat, as it were. That there are times, if not now, then in the past certainly, when you have retired from the field of battle defeated, when you know that he has actually overcome you, when you have given in to temptation, when you have sinned against the Lord, when you have said to yourself, oh, my leanness, my leanness, when you recognize your lack of holiness, when you know that in yourself all that you have not done in the presence of God and for God that you ought to have done cries out to God just as much as the things that you have done that you ought not to have done. Your sins of omission, your sins of commission, they come together as a massive pile in your experience, in your, in your, in your mind as you sit and as you look back and as you wait, as you sit with Eli, as you think of the outcome of the battle. Aren't you aware as I am aware of the compromises, the broken resolutions? The failed vows, the promises we haven't kept, the sins we've committed, the backslidings of our heart. Aren't we aware of our own inward hardness, our coldness, our indifference? Is the matter of reading God's word something that really causes excitement in our hearts? Do we find it easier to read magazines, newspapers, to watch television? Are we more drowsy when we're reading the Word of God, when we're thinking of God, when we're thinking of the things of God? Is it easier in that sense to do the things of the world and the things of God 
Don't we all have to admit to failures in these things? Now you see, this is the vital question. What are we doing here today? Is it simply a matter of taking the ark of God as Israel did? Is it simply a matter of coming to the services hoping and thinking that somehow that by itself will correct the issue, will correct the heart, will turn us into what we should be, will have the power of God on our side? Is it simply that kind of thing that Israel had that superstitiously on some way like that took the ark of God and said, well, this is going to guarantee our victory? <coughs> oh, friends, I hope not. It is one thing to be at a service such as this. It is one thing to be at other services, whatever they might be, pertaining to the house of God, to the cause of God. It is one thing to go to the Lord's table, to partake of the sacraments, to read your Bible, to pray to God. But it's another thing to do that with repentance, with contrition, with seeking, with seriousness, with a heart that in all seriousness before God says, Search me, O God. Try my heart. And see if there be in me any wicked way. And lead me in the way everlasting. That is precisely what Israel did not do. That is what they did not do in taking the ark of God and because they did not do it in that fashion, taking the ark of God was useless to them. By all means, let us attend church services. By all means, let us attend every service that God has instituted, every means of grace that he has set up for our good. By all means, let us be there. Let us be there constantly. Let us be there consistently consistently let us use all these means by all means let us read our bibles let us hold family worship by all means let us do all of these things but if you and i think today that leaving our hearts as they are in the cold backslidden conditions and entering into these things with that root of unbelief with the root of backsliding, with the root of sin in ourselves, still not dealt with, still not really grappled with as it ought. Friends, being at all these things doesn't mean at all that God is going to be with us. If your heart is still set on backsliding, if you have not dealt with the sin of your if it has not been brought to God seriously to question, why has the Lord smitten me today before the Philistines? Why is the power that I seek and that I would like to have not so with me as I come to engage the enemy? If we're not grappling with that seriously, if we're not with a repentant, contrite heart, pouring that out before God, be assured the grace of God is not guaranteed to you in power overcome the enemy. Eli trembled for the ark of God. He knew the manner of taking it was not right. 
He knew that these men had not actually asked the right questions, dealt with the matter in the way that they ought to have. He knew that their hearts were still backslidden. He knew that they were still alienated from God. He knew that the root cause of the thing was undealt with. He knew that they carried the arrogant to battle in their own strength. And there is little of anything better today that Satan wishes to see in you and to see in me than carrying the ark of God against him in our own strength. He loves to see you leaving the sin of your heart undealt with. He loves to see you in your coldness as my coldness is, leaving that undealt with without seeking of God that quickening spirit, that quickening spirit that will fire us into life. He loves to see our backsliding ways undealt with. He loves to see us going through the motions of religious exercises without really seriously grappling with the issue that is at heart. And he loves to see that because he knows that he will have an easy slaughter. Yes, he will have an easy slaughter among the ranks of Israel. When the ark is carried into battle, in such a manner you and I have got to come in all these issues in the manner prescribed by God repentance faith clinging to Christ seeing him as the foundation of strength seeing ourselves as nothing realizing our own absolute impotence Drawing our source of strength, drawing our strength from Him as the source. Are we trembling for the ark of God as we see ourselves? As we realize the ark of God is deposited in our midst, as the cause of God, as the name of God, as all of these things are given to us and placed in our midst, that we are bearing the ark of God into battle today. Have we cause to tremble? What are these hands that carry the ark of God into battle? Are they hands stained with blood, stained with guilt, with backsliding, with unrepented sin? And if so, you and I must tremble for the ark of God. One other thing regarding the ark of God. As you know, the people were not allowed to touch this ark. No one was to touch it. It was carried on staves through rings attached to it. <coughs> the ark is not just symbolic of the presence of God. It is symbolic of the presence of the Holy God. How little, oh how little, these men realized what they were carrying. How lightly did the holiness of God weigh upon their shoulders as they carried the ark of God into battle. How little did they realize that it was symbolic of the presence of the holy God. What is the holiness of God to ourselves today? As we carry the ark of God into battle against the enemy, what is the holiness of God? Not just his own holiness as he describes himself in the Bible for us. 
but that holiness of his that is communicated as it were to everything that belongs to him and belongs to his service the holiness of God that attaches itself to the name of God that attaches itself to the house of God this is bricks and mortar like any other house in itself it is no different but because of all that takes place here of all that is associated with it it is the holy place where God is pleased to manifest himself the heart of God's people the temple of the Spirit of God the holiness of God as communicated to such because of his own dwelling in that place the name of God the people of God the house of God the service of God all that you have Christian all that you have believer in the service of God is stamped indelibly with this with these words holiness unto the Lord there is nothing that you do nothing that you say out with that it affects absolutely everything in the service of the Christian in the thoughts of the Christian in the actions of the Christians in the doings of the Christian holiness unto the Lord is stamped upon it because of the Lord whose service it is are we trembling for the ark of God do we appreciate what it means to be a Christian do we do we appreciate indeed the seriousness of that the solemnity of that by all means let's rejoice in it let's take all the joy that belongs to the Christian life it's there for the Christian to enjoy and to partake of but oh let's not forget the holiness of the God of the earth is imparted to the Christian's life in conversation and behavior and thoughts and speech holiness unto the Lord how then should we pray the prayer of the psalmist hold up my goings Lord me guide in those thy paths divine so that my footsteps may not slide out of those ways of thine how that should be our prayer beginning and ending every day when we realize what it means for the Christian to bear the ark of God and thereby to bear the name of God to have the holiness of God the name of God how little it takes for the garment of Christ to be soiled what a tiny inconsistency can lead to the greatest defilement the name of Christ the holiness that is part of the service of God should make us tremble prayerfully for the ark of God and you might say against all that well who then is going to profess Christ who can possibly come to make a confession of faith you might say of yourself I'm certainly not because I see others who are making a profession of faith they're so far ahead of me and if you're telling me today that that is what it means to be a Christian to come out openly on the side of Christ that it has all that attached to it I'm certainly not going to do it I'm afraid that I will defile the whole matter it's better that I take no part in that open profession that I take no part in 
manifesting the name of Christ and joining myself by professing his name with his people. Oh, how mistaken you are. How mistaken. If it is dishonor to God to make a profession of his name, of faith in his name, and compromise him, it is also both dishonoring and a compromise to love him and not confess him. to believe and believe in and not declare and not be openly among his people you have to consider both sides of the issue don't let us say the seriousness of the issue must keep me back. But say the seriousness of the issue must mean that I go forward with the people of God but make even greater effort at prayerfulness, at consistency, at claiming the blood of Christ to cover our failures and our incomes. Trembling for the ark of God doesn't mean you hold back. Doesn't mean you love him, but don't make it known. That will not ease your heart. That will not help his cause. That will not bring honor to him, as you might imagine. And a word in conclusion concerning the death of Hophni and Phineas. We've been looking at some very solemn issues today concerning the people of God as we find that in Eli, as he sits there on his seat by the wayside, trembling for the ark of God. It's sad to see him there. He's a sad figure. To see a man of God coming to the end of his days in this world in those circumstances. To have that misery at his latter end. And yet, it is not an eternal death. He does not die as an unsaved man. He dies the death of the godly for all his failures, for all the seriousness of the circumstances. He dies as a man of God. While his inconsistencies are inexcusable, he is still dying as one who trusts in God. You cannot say the same for his son. However serious it is to have a godly man die in these circumstances, that is nothing to the seriousness for you and I today to consider the death of the ungodly. Hophni and Phinehas died in battle not honorably, but in shame. And the Bible tells us, you remember in 1 Peter chapter 4, I leave you with the text. A chapter that deals with the sufferings of the people of God in this world. If the righteous scarcely be saved, scarcely meaning not with difficulty as far as God is concerned, there are no difficulties with him but scarcely in the sense of 
coming through so many difficulties and trials, if that is the way that the godly are saved, if the righteous come to the fullness of salvation through such pain and through such sorrow and through such difficulties, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner If there is pain in the life of those who go to heaven, what about those who will never be paid? What about the pain of the lost? What about dying in your sins? Doesn't that very thought make you today run to Christ? Claim Christ as your own. Cast yourself upon Don't you say, as you consider these things, with another wicked man, Balaam long ago, who yet spoke such sublime truths, don't you say today as you see the people of God and all that belong to them, don't you say with Balaam as he saw them, let me die. The death of the righteous. Let my last end be like him.